Hello, my name is Robin, as already been said. Um, great to have you with us this morning. It's my pleasure to be speaking from Matthew chapter 5. Um, we'll be on in verse 43 in just a moment, if you'd like to turn there. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mums who've joined us today. Thank you so much for being a part of us. It's great to have you with us. For those of you who are paying attention, you might notice that we're backtracking a little bit. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 6. Now we're in chapter 5. Hopefully that's not too confusing. We rearranged things a little bit so that Duncan could talk about laying up treasures in heaven last week. And now we're back in Matthew chapter 5 and we'll kind of continue as normal from now on. Have you ever been reading your Bible and found a, a verse or a passage that's really quite challenging, that's really quite difficult to get a hold of? And, and one of the reasons I think is often the case is because we find that the, what we're seeing in Scripture, what seems to be asked of us, is just so different from the expectations of our current culture, the expectations of the world around us. And it can be difficult to decide and to think how we are to, to react and respond to the Scripture and to, to live our lives out. And, and really, sometimes, just how to read um, those bits of the Bible that are challenging. And I think we've got um, a passage here this morning that's got two particularly challenging bits to it that we're going to work through together. And I think it's particularly helpful because I think the, the second of them actually has a bit of an answer, a bit of a clue for us to how to respond to a lot of these more challenging passages. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting to that in a moment. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, as I said, this is the seventh of um, seven, so the last of what is known as the antitheses. Um, and this is a series of um, statements from Jesus um, in, in this Sermon on the Mount, and he, is qu he starts, he, he's got the same format for each one. He starts by quoting scripture, and then he states the current interpretation of that scripture, the one that's held by the first century Jews at the time. And then he moves on to um, correcting um, and pushing back against that interpretation and providing his, his correct interpretation and, and ultimately giving examples of how to co correctly respond to that scripture and to live your life in accordance with God's will. Um, and so this is the last of them. Sadly, we've missed a few. So the first one is anger. We had Rianne speaking on that a few weeks ago. She served us very well talking about how it's really important for us to tame our, our tongues and our hearts. Um, sadly, the ones we've missed are lust, divorce, oaths, and retaliation. Uh, if you'd like to read those, they're in Matthew chapter 5, you can find them. But I think the, um, the, the good thing is that love your enemies, which is the one we're talking about today, is very much a conclusion to the seven, is very much a summary of the seven. And so what the, the learnings we have here will, will encompass all of them. And so um, it's important that we, we came back to Matthew chapter 5 just to finish this one off. And I think as Duncan said last week, Matthew, um, this, this love your enemies bit is really a very good conclusion for the sermon so far. Um, Jesus has been building up the, the theme and the tone throughout this um, first chapter, and he's going to go on to build on this foundation in the coming two chapters of the sermon. He's going he's to build on that. He's going to teach us how to live, how to respond, how to, um, you know, the specifics of like how to pray, how to fast, how to give, etc. Are, are what will come in the coming weeks. Okay, so we're going to get into it now. I'll, re I'll be reading. I think the, um, the words will appear on the screen as well. It says, you have heard, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and i think it's going to be really helpful for us for, for us this morning to to approach this in two parts uh, the first is um verses 3 to 40, 43 to 47 where jesus is talking about love your enemies and then the second is that summary statement um for for kind of the passage and, and the sermon so far um, which we'll get to a little bit later on. And, and just as I predicted, Jesus starts by um, quoting the scripture, love your neighbor, which is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Um, but he's, he's doing something a bit different here. He doesn't just stop there. He says, it's heard that it, is, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, hate your enemy is not something that is found in the scripture anywhere at all. This is something that has been added in but it's not added in by jesus this is not something that he is saying is is truth um this is more of a reflection of the attitudes and the interpretation of scripture that many of the people listening would have had at the time he's he's moving straight on to that interpretation um that, that i mentioned earlier where he's saying you think that it says love your neighbor and hate your enemy and then, um, as I said, this is, this is a reflection of these attitudes and the hearts of the Pharisees and the, the scribes and the other people listening in. And so Jesus then moves on to correcting that behavior and describing the correct behavior in verse 44. He talks about loving your neighbor, yes, but also loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. And in verse 45, he will then um, ground that teaching in the universal love of God, the love of God that will um, send rain and sun down on the good and the evil, the just and the unjust. And then in 46 and 47, Jesus is pushing back against the current interpretation, um, pointing out the, the flaws and the problems with it. And then we finally get to the summary statement in verse 48. And you'll be pleased to know that hate was not a typical Jewish teaching at the time. You wouldn't have had someone like I am now stood at the front of a synagogue um, in, in the morning teaching on hate uh, in, the, in the same way. It was more of um, a heart attitude that people had. It was, it was to do with the way they were living their lives. It was uh, a common accepted thing at the time that, you know, this was first century um, Israel and, and Palestine, and they were occupied by the Roman Empire. And so the Romans were seen as oppressors, and they truly were, were hated, as was anyone who associated with the Romans. And so tax collectors, who we hear so much about in the Gospels, were seen as the lowest of the low because they associated with the Romans. They collected taxes for the Romans. They were seen as betraying their faith and their nation. And similarly, Gentiles were, were treated very differently to Israelites, um, in, in many ways shunned um, and, and treated as lesser than the Jews. And so Jesus is using these two examples 
as, as counterpoints to, to the narrative that says you can hate your enemy. He's kind of underlining the problems with that and using those examples against them. And, and you know, he says, even the tax collectors do the same as you. You're, you're no better than them in the way that you love. And I, this reminds me of the passage we had earlier on in the sermon series where Duncan was speaking on salt and light. He did an excellent job of telling us about how we should be distinct and, and we're seeing the same thing here. We're to be distinct from the other people, the tax collectors, the Gentiles, uh, the, the non-believers around us. We are in this world, certainly, but we are not to be of this world. We're called to love in a way that is qualitatively different from the rest of the world. And so we see that we're invited into this greater righteousness that's been a recurring theme throughout the sermon series so far. But this teaching is radical and it's challenging and it, it was radical and challenging then, it's radical and challenging now. And I, I think it's really easy for us to, to skip over it and to minimize what's being said here. Jesus is not calling for us to forgive our enemies or to tolerate our enemies or to give them a, a cordial greeting in the workplace to that colleague we don't really like that much. Now he's saying we should love them. He's saying we should pray for them, earnestly pray for them. Not, not a quick prayer to, to get over any wrongdoing that they might have done you, but to pursue them in prayer. The, the love that we have for our family and our friends, the love that we show to each other here as a church family. It seems a, such a long time ago, I think it's almost exactly a year since we were meeting online as a church, but before then, we would have each other in our homes. We would share food together. We would have home groups together. We would have prayer meetings together. And that same heart attitude should be extended to those who we might not like that much, who, who we might find have persecuted us in some way. We're, we're called to love them. We're called to welcome them into our homes. We're called to cook them a meal. We're called to, to pray for them earnestly and to, and to pursue that prayer and to intercede for them, even to ask for an equal inheritance in God's kingdom for them. This is not just something that we do to, to help ourselves feel better, but something that we should be doing because we genuinely desire the best for them and we genuinely desire for them to flourish. That is what true kingdom living looks like. That is what Jesus is asking for us here. And, and it's, it's radical, it's difficult. I, I didn't have to spend much time when preparing for this message thinking of some examples from my own life. Uh, one Sunday morning in January, my wife and I woke up and we went downstairs and we found that our house had been broken into, our, our door had been broken into, it was severely damaged, our, our drawers and our cupboards downstairs were all open, someone had been through the house and you know they were looking for car keys, thankfully they didn't find our car keys, I won't tell you where we hide our car keys because this is going on YouTube but you know the car was still on the drive so in, in that sense we got off lightly um, but we had to have the door boarded up because that was no longer fit for purpose and on their way out they took all of my power tools and my drills and things that were stored downstairs at the time. So this was uh, an upsetting uh, morning and day for us uh, and, and certainly my, my initial response was, was one of upset and anger. Um, I, I had to spend many hours over the next few weeks speaking to the police and the insurance and a, and a locksmith and things like that. 
Um, and, in, and in some ways, it's, been, it's, it's, it's all been sorted, but it's, it's taken a while. Some six, seven, eight weeks later, we've only just had our back door replaced and access to our garden restored. Um, so there's certainly been an inconvenience. There's certainly been a monetary cost. But more than that, I was angry that these people had come into my home. I'm, I'm not even allowed friends and family in my home at the moment, but they'd let themselves in while my wife and my children were asleep upstairs. And they'd taken things that were meaningful and precious to me. Some, some of the things they took were gifts. And so, understandably, I think I was angry. But I was also kind of aware that I was going to be speaking on this passage in, in March. Uh, and, and so I, I started trying to get to grips with this with God and trying to respond to what I was seeing here and, and trying to pray it through. Um, and I, I, I'm going to have to say that's a work in progress. I, I don't think I'm, I'm quite there yet where, you know, these people who have already let themselves into my home once, I don't know if I could invite them in a second time just yet. I don't know if I'm, I'm quite yet at the place where I could cook them a meal or maybe when the pubs are open, invite them down to the pub and buy them a pint. I, that, that's a difficult thing for me to do. Uh, and I think that's a difficult thing for, for a lot of us to do, to, to respond to um, our, our enemies and people who we see as our persecutors. To love them in the way that we love our friends and family is a, is a really difficult thing. I'm sure we can all think of examples in our own life. And, and so, in many ways, I'm not really sure what to do with that first passage. It's, it's a difficult thing to, to figure out and respond to. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of put a pin in it there, and we're going to move on to verse 48, which I think will have a lot of help for us, a lot of answers. Um, it's no coincidence that these two almost quite distinct passages are, are lumped together like that. They're, they're very helpful for one another. But before we go too much further, I'm going to have to be honest, verse 48 is also challenging. But it's challenging for a slightly different reason. Um, Jesus uses this very difficult word, and he uses it twice, uh, and that word is perfect. And I think that's certainly a word I struggle with, and I think it's a word that a lot of us uh, modern Christians struggle with, because we have a certain idea about what perfect means. And and certainly for me, and, and I imagine for a lot of you listening, perfect seems just so at odds with the, the word grace, um, the, the preaching on grace that we have so rooted in ourselves as a church. We, we are planted from a church in Nottingham called Grace Church Nottingham. We're part of a family of churches called Grace Connection. We're, we're, you know, even, even in our worship time, we were talking about grace again. It's such a wonderful thing. And often in scripture, we find these two ideas that just seem so against each other, and it's so hard for us to marry them up. Um, but we're going to try and do that this morning. The, um, the, the teaching that Jesus has for us here um, is written down by Matthew um, in Greek, and he uses a Greek word called teleos, um, which we've translated as perfect in many translations. And in fact, it's the second difficult Greek word we've had in this sermon series. If you were listening to the um, earlier messages, Duncan was talking about a, a word called makarios and how that was challenging for us. Um, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to those first two messages in the Beatitudes if you'd like to know more about that. But to put it very simply, makarios was difficult because there was no direct translation 
of, of that original Greek word into our modern um, English. And so we end up with blessed in most translations. And Duncan was talking about this idea of flourishing. And teleos is different for a slightly different reason. There is a, there is a pretty good word for, for translating teleos. It's, it's right here in front of us. It's perfect. And, and so the problem with perfect, I would suggest, and a lot of the commentators on this passage have discussed similar ideas. Um, the, the problem with perfect is our modern day understanding of that word suggests this moral perfection, this moral purity, almost a sinlessness, um, which I'm, I'm sure you'll have found is, is not quite attainable for us, this, this sinless life. There's only one man who, who managed to do that, and he is speaking to us here. And so this, this focus on the external is, is not quite what Jesus is talking about. We've had this as a recurring theme um, in the sermon series so far. Duncan was talking about it earlier. Jesus is after our hearts rather than our external behaviors. I've been reading as part of my regular Bible reading this year through some books by Phil Moore. He's got a, a really helpful series called Straight to the Heart with lots of bite-sized um, commentary on different passages. And a recurring theme in his books is this idea of um, the inside. He talks a lot about inside-out faith and inside-out righteousness. And this is not an original idea of his. It's a recurring theme in his books because it's a recurring theme in the gospel. It's a recurring theme in the letters of the New Testament. This idea that we need to focus on what's going on in the inside, what's going on in our hearts, rather than focusing so much on the external. That will come later, as it were. And so Jesus is after our hearts, and, and the word I would kind of suggest to us this morning is wholeness. Or you might prefer uh, completeness. Uh, the idea of a, a singleness of a devotion and an undivided heart is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about centering our whole lives around him, around God's kingdom, and around God's love. And so I think before we go too much further, it's only fair for me to provide a little bit of context of why I'm proposing wholeness rather than perfect if I'm ch challenging this, this interpretation a little bit. Um, and I think there's going to be two things that are really helpful for us. The first is to observe that Jesus is restating some scripture. He's restating some more of Leviticus. And the first instance we find is Leviticus 19 verse 2, where it says, You shall be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And the second is Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, where it says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And I'm sure those two verses will sound familiar, given what we've just read. Jesus has just replaced one word. He's replaced holy with, with you know, perfect, telios. And the, the listeners at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes and the other Jews listening, would have been familiar with these original verses. It would have been immediately obvious to them that Jesus was restating them with just one subtle difference. And so their ears would have pricked up. They would have been listening in to, to hear what Jesus was saying and to understand why he had flipped um, this, this word out for, for something else. And the interesting thing is that holiness was problematic for his listeners. The Pharisees so easily defined holiness as 
external behavior as cleanliness, very similar to what I was talking about earlier. And I think we've got the same trouble ourselves. Certainly when I hear holy, I, I jump to this idea of cleanliness. And again, Jesus is emphasizing the heart with, the, with his listeners. The Pharisees are actually pretty good at their external behavior. They're very good at doing the right thing. It's their hearts that are wrong. It's their hearts that are not aligned with God and their actions. And so Jesus is, is choosing not to use the, the original word holy. He's using a different word. And I think that um, second part of that second verse is really helpful where it talks about um, God expecting us to be separated from the rest of the world. Again, that idea of being distinct, that we're to be obedient to God from our very hearts and, and be separated to him and, and focus our attention on him. And, and the second thing I think that is helpful for us to get to this idea of wholeness is to consider the language that's being used. Matthew wrote down his gospel in Greek, but it's extremely unlikely that Jesus would have been speaking Greek to his listeners. More likely it was Hebrew or Aramaic. And so it's a good idea for us to, for us to consider the words that Jesus might have been using. Um, and I, I understand that the, the most likely candidates are a word called shalom, which you might have heard of, um, and a word called tamim. And shalom is often translated as peace into English, this idea of uh, a state of relationship that is free from conflict. And you can even get from that th this idea of completeness, this idea of flourishing as well. And then tamim, very similarly, um, literally just means complete or sound. Uh, the, the idea of wholeness uh, and singleness and, and being devoted to something comes from these two words. And, and so teleos or, or wholeness is really a very important part to, to this passage and to understanding some of the things I was talking about earlier, but it's actually really important for um, the rest of um, this Sermon on the Mount series. If we can understand teleos and we can understand makarios, then we've really got the keys to, to unlocking the rest um, of the teaching that we're going to have in the coming weeks. So it's, it's really important for us to spend time on this here and to truly understand that Jesus is, is casting vision, much in the same way we casted vision last, um, not last week, a couple of weeks ago when Duncan was um, talking on Vision Sunday. Jesus is doing the same here. He's giving vision for how to be in the world how to live in his kingdom, how to, to love in a way that reflects God's love and, and, and not reflecting the attitudes of those around us. This is something for us to, to, to wrestle with, as, as many of the passages in this sermon series are. It's something for us to pray into. But the focus needs to be on our, on our hearts and our attitudes rather than our external behaviors. The, um, the, the options for response to this passage um, are, are varied, I think. I think there are a couple of things I'd like for us to do this morning. And the first is very practical and simple, and we'll make time for it um, in, a, in a few minutes when I end. And that is that if we are going to love and pray for our enemies and our persecutors, then we're going to need to be able to put names and faces to them. We're going to be able to. We're going to need to be able to to talk to God about them, and and to do that, I, th I think we need to start as I did of of praying about it and 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 finding these examples of people who we need to be loving and praying for that we're perhaps not already. 
And it might be obvious to you right now, but it might not be. Certainly, if I was preaching in December, I might have had a, a more difficult time thinking of good examples of this. But I, I think we all have someone or even a few people that we could be loving and praying for more. And, and it's certainly difficult and challenging for us, as I, as I kind of mentioned earlier, and that's just why we need to press in with God. We can ask him to help us identify these people, help us to respond to this message, and really try and do that regularly um, and pursue that. And though it is challenging, it truly will help us to be distinct from the rest of the world. So I, you know, unsurprisingly, I don't think this is something that many other people will be doing. And as I said, the, the Sermon on the Mount series presents these issues for us to, to wrestle with and, and to pray into. But we can be encouraged by the example that Jesus sets us in his life. Like any good teacher, he walks the talk. He lives out this teaching to its full in his life. There are so many examples of him loving in a way that is distinct. He loves the rejected and the marginalized of society. He even loves his enemies, and those who would seek to do him harm. I can think of um, a couple of examples just from the very end of Jesus' life. Uh, the first is when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and the uh, Roman soldiers come to arrest him, and, and Peter jumps up with sword in his hand and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. There's certainly some anger and hate in, in Peter there. But Jesus says, no, put away your sword. And he reaches out and he heals uh, the man's ear and he accepts the chains. This man who comes to arrest him and, and to try him for, for crimes he hasn't committed, he shows love. Um, he heals him, he shows him protection. And then a little bit later on, as Jesus is, is dying on the cross, hanging in, in pain and agony, even then in that moment, he's praying out, he's interceding, for his persecutors. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as he says those words, there are men he is praying for at his feet, gambling for the clothes off of his back. Right to the very end, Jesus is loving his enemy and praying for them and interceding for them. And actually, I think it's also encouraging to see that later on in the New Testament, as the disciples mature, they also begin to, to demonstrate this love a little bit as well. Even Peter, who we see here reacting in anger, the, the, the ministry of the disciples goes on to be defined by God's love, even for those who would seek to do them harm, even for those who are persecuting the church. They continue to love, following the example that Jesus has set for them. And Jesus, I, I think it's really important for us to know, particularly when we're talking about you know, trying to marry up the grace and the perfect, the teleos, the wholeness that we talked about earlier. Jesus is not setting a new standard for us. He's not raising the bar of the law or adding things to it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 that his yoke is easy. And, and we can take him at his word there. This, this last verse then really has to be for us an invitation to, to seek after him and, and to love in a way that he loves. Can I have the Nat and Helena up for some, some music in just a moment? I think it's really encouraging as well to, to know that we have his spirit 
we, we heard Duncan talking earlier from Ephesians about how the Spirit will, will help to seal our hearts. And, and the Spirit is here as a helper for us to, to really reflect God's love and to live in a way that is aligned with his will and a way that is aligned with his teaching. And he will help us if we accept Jesus and the Spirit into our hearts. He will help us to love in a way that is defined by God's love, in a way that is characterized by the way that God loves people. The universal love that we see that show, uh, sends his son and his reign down for all people, surpassing all circumstances and behaviors and backgrounds. And, I, and again, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, Paul is talking about how uh, the Spirit empowers people with different gifts. And, and one very simple thing is that the, the Spirit will empower us to love in the way that is right if we accept the Spirit in. And, and that, that's such great news for us. The, the only way, really, to, to respond to this message and to respond to, to the idea of loving your enemies and to respond to some of the other challenges in the other antitheses that Jesus sets out is to accept him and, and to emphasize not the actions that we take but our hearts and to focus our attention on Jesus and it's only then that we'll start to see some of these other things change if we allow ourselves to be captivated by him to focus our full attention on him to turn away from other masters as we heard last week to turn away from the other things of this world and, and allow ourselves to focus on his love his sacrifice for us uh, that has given us new life that is really when our hearts will be transformed. And as our hearts tran are transformed, so will be our actions, our behaviors, and our lives from the inside out. And so that's where we're going to leave um, this, this message this morning. What I'd like us to do now is to, to start by just having 30 seconds or so to, to reflect with God in your own homes and just ask him to draw... Um, names and faces to the surface help help him help you for him to help you to identify people that you need to be loving for and, and praying for and i think that will play some twinkly bits on the guitar just for some atmosphere as we reflect on that and then i'll i'll pray for us and, and we'll respond by focusing on jesus and fixing our eyes on him and ending the meeting by by worshiping the one that is worthy of our praise so we're just going to have 30 seconds or so now and then the worship band will lead us in a song.